there, my name is Alicia, and I'm originally from Poland, so hence my accent. I am a nurse practitioner specialized in mental health and also a social worker. I wanted to start this podcast so that listeners like you can get an inside look into the life of a mental health practitioner. Our goal with this podcast is to discover our naked truth, and we're always discovering that, and help you discover yours. And I'm Sophie. I studied psychology in college, and I'm super passionate about mental health. I produce the podcast, and I provide Alicia with lots and lots of questions. I am very excited today because we have Dr. Newman. Hello, Dr. Newman. Hello. How are you today? And I love Dr. Newman because (laughs) she's wonderful and she is uh, just full of positive energy. So You are too kind, too kind as always. But thank you. I'm glad to be here. Really excited to speak to you and maybe speak to some potential um, clients and friends that I haven't met yet. Yes. Yes. Would you kindly enlighten us as far as what your credentials are and all the seriously mysterious letters behind your name? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the first set of alphabet letters, um, MFT. So Mm -hmm. that stands for marriage and family therapist. And most people think I'm a massage therapist when they see this MFT. That's like massage. I do not provide massage. I would love to receive a massage, but I'm not good at giving them. (laughs) (laughs) So MFT is marriage and family therapy. They are regulated by the same board that regulates uh, counselors and social workers in Ohio. It's a fairly new license in Ohio, maybe the last 15 years or so. Um, and then the other alphabet letters are um, PsyD. So I have a doctorate in clinical psychology um, that I got um, several years back. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to use both of them together. I think they're two of my favorite hats they're to have in the office. Happily yes. married together. <laughs> so how did you get into the world of mental health? So growing up, I ran into a couple of, shall we say, behavioral problems <laughs> Not that you. I had. Yes, yes, <laughs> that I had. Um, had some issues with mood, um, especially teenage years. And I would say most of that was kind of the average like teenage angst, depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. But as you know, but other people may not know, um, I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to share that with people. Um, I have a lovely adoptive family. I have a mother and father and a brother that live here in Ohio, but they are not biologically related to me. I was adopted when I was two days old, so I don't have a memory of it, but I do think that growing up, I had this constant sense of not being good enough or wanted, and I think it ended up bleeding into some areas in my life when I was challenged with some depression and that type of thing as a teenager. And um, it, I had some relationship conflict with my with my mother, with my father, with my parents. Um, and I had really had to work through a lot of that. So my interest in mental health really was what's wrong with me? Aww. You know, how can I how can I fix me? Aww. So that's where it started um, and, and then just became an interest and a passion because and- I received wonderful care and help and treatment from people that were very qualified. And I felt like I wanted to be a part of that in some way to give back when I came out on the other side, so to speak. Does that answer your question? Very well. Okay. (laughs) And I was just going to ask, when did you find out that there was nothing wrong with you and that you're an extraordinary person? (laughs) When when was that breakthrough for you? I think that's a daily process. (laughs) I think we all wake up every day and think, oh, 
I don't know. I should have said this. I could have done that. I, I tend to be hard on myself in a lot of ways, but I'm trying to work on that. I'm trying to make that a, a daily, um, a daily practice to be Aww. mindful of the fact that yes, we are all somewhat wounded, mm-hmm. but we are all really amazing and exceptional human beings, and we can be every day. So, um, I was I was just going to say, I have one issue where I forget everything I ever said. <laughs> so I I guess that's good because then I can't question myself. Oh, I should have said that. Or so I I don't really spend a lot of time on questioning myself because I just don't remember what I said. And then every time, so my father says this to me, I am perfect. That's what he says. You know, I'm a perfect oh. father. So I always <laughs> say, well, I'm a perfect daughter. Then so if anybody has any problems with me, I'm just perfect. So. And we know because your father said so. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so we can't argue with that. Right. <laughs> but going back, I mean, this is fascinating. So when did you find out that you were adopted? Did your parents that were they open about it or did they? Sort they were. Of, okay. They were. I matter. I was so small that I don't remember. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I always knew. So they must have told me when I was a toddler, when I was really, really small. And I remember I had a book, and I, and I, I don't remember who wrote the book, but it, I think the title was something like You Were Chosen. So it was a book that I had as a child that my parents got for me that basically said that I was loved because I was special, because I was chosen. That's um, very sweet. So it was, it was a book about adoption. I don't mm-hmm. really remember much about it other than they were always very open, very warm, very supportive. Mm-hmm. I don't in any way mean to throw my parents mm-hmm. under the bus that I was traumatized by mm-hmm. this because it had nothing to do with them. It was mm-hmm. more of an internal sense that I had that something must not be right with me for someone to have given me away. If that, yeah. And even yeah. though you were only two years old, two, 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 I think days, two days old, old maybe when mm-hmm. you were, so that mm-hmm. sense was always with you. Interesting. I, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I don't, and, and the more I learned in graduate school about trauma. Mm -hmm. And as I started to kind of unpack those pieces, I've learned that we often, or people often encounter trauma even in utero, in the womb. Mm -hmm. So, so imagine then I'm imagining my, my birth mother who was young when she had me uh, unmarried and a teenager being stressed, being, um, feeling, having all kinds of strong feelings about being pregnant and, and feeling badly about herself or her situation. And that kind of stress can create for a baby, even in the womb, some dysregulation. And so I, I don't know whether that was transmitted early or um, whether I just kind of made this up myself well, as a kid I, you know or made up a story about what might have happened. And so I'm not sure. It's probably a combination. It sounds like it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds mm-hmm. like we don't understand our brain and how we exactly function anyway. So Correct. So Correct. the wounds that we might experience mm-hmm. even in utero or maybe there's past lives even. Maybe it exactly. goes even deeper than that. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. So, so and, and all the neuroscience that we that we value now doesn't really still give us all mm-hmm. the answers. You know, we still don't know how consciousness works and mm-hmm. those types of things. So I think that's fascinating. So, so yeah. okay, so your adoptive parents, wonderful mm-hmm. people. Wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And did you They're ever... Buckeyes. They live here Buc-eyes. in Ohio. Yeah, not Michigan <laughs> fans. Thank no, God for that. No, they're Buckeyes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. I, yeah. I just saw somebody yesterday walking in Michigan out, and I'm like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's a dangerous thing dang- to do yeah, at this time of year. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But uh, did you ever try to find, or did you were you ever curious about your uh, biological mm, parents? Always, always, okay. always. Um, now, I was adopted in 1969. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
please, please don't do the math out there, people. <laughs> <laughs> I was adopted you in 1969. Oh, thank you. Know you. Um, so when I was adopted, the Ohio had a closed system. So private adoption, you the records were sealed. So you were not allowed to kind of dig into the courts and find out birth records, birth, you know, that type of thing. Um, I, I don't know how many years ago, maybe five or six, seven, they changed the law so that those things could be opened up. And um, I used um, Ancestry.com and then opened up some public records to, to locate my birth mother, and I found her. Mm-hmm. She lives in Ohio, by the way, another Yay, Buckeye. Uh, she's lovely. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are we don't see each other very often, but we do talk on the phone, we text, we're trying to kind of work on getting to know each other, and it's been wonderful. And I think that has also helped me in a lot of ways to kind of put some closure to my own trauma and wonderings about where I came from. Mm-hmm. Not that you would have to do that to heal, but for me, I think it helped me personally. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that oh. story. I think that's amazing. And, yeah. and I think it's amazing that you're with us at Holistic <laughs> because I, I love just it here. Love you. I you love know, it here. Seriously. It's like family. When I yes. come into the office, I feel like I'm home. And I love that. Yeah. We're yeah. both going to cry now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Wish you were Sophie a single guy and I'll just us. hit on you and get married and have well, five babies. Hey, and <laughs> you know, people switch teams all the time. Just saying. Yeah. Switching teams. Switching Let's teams. <laughs> well, I could go there too in my past. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> right. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Part two. Part two. Yeah. Yes, you all have to tune into the next podcast for that. Dr. Newman's sexuality oh. in flux. Right. Like, <laughs> Oh, yay. (laughs) That's perfect. Um, Well, so so you got into mental health, you Mm -hmm. said, because you were hoping to find what was wrong with you. Mm -hmm. What did you learn throughout the school and what what the answers did you find out? Mm -hmm. That that we all we all have these same thoughts. These we all have these wonderings and. I think I learned a lot about how resilient people can be um, and just what a gift relationships are. And, and when I say that, I don't mean necessarily romantic relationships, but how connected we are and how important it is for us to all be um, social creatures and social beings and, and, and not shy away from others and how important that is for us to connect with other people and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lot less lonely now, even when I'm by myself. I'm never really lonely. And I, I spend a lot of my teenage years feeling lonely. Were you the only child? No, I have a brother. Okay. I have a brother, but I think it was in my own, in in kind of that depression where we isolate. Like I felt very lonely even when I was with people sometimes as a a teen. Um, But I don't feel like that now. I feel... I feel very connected. You know. I think teenage yeah. years are just hard for everybody. They are. They can be. Yes, they yeah. can be. Yeah. It's just just a weird mm-hmm. age. It is. I it is. I don't even know how to talk to teenagers because I just <laughs> don't know what to say to them. Their hormones are also out of whack. And I think I depression is more mm-hmm. common for them because the, the, the imbalances in the hormones. Yes. Yes. And and I, I think you would attest to this, but depression rates have been rising Mm -hmm. and and especially among teens and children over the last 20, 25 years, which is concerning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember being very depressed at 13, not even Mm -hmm. knowing why. I know my father had depression around that time, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say I was pretty clinically depressed for Mm -hmm. two or three months just 
Just how did dark. you how did you handle that in your family or what did you do? Well, at that time? I closed off. I felt alone. I felt like I couldn't tell my parents because I didn't want to burden them. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of kept on closing off and feeling like I had to deal with it on your on my own. Just kind of like what you said, mm-hmm. just removing yourself. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what depression makes you feel like like yes. you're alone and mm-hmm. maybe you're worthless because you have you know you're feeling different and. Right. And it, and it is hard because you do feel like you might be the only person feeling mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the great things about, well, podcasts, one of the great things about um, social media mm-hmm. and in terms of the way the pandemic unfolded, it, mm-hmm. it forced people sometimes, even when we were physically isolated, to stay connected through other media and other means. And I think that was a, that was a good thing. But mm-hmm. it's also good to hug people yes, when you're yes. around them. So. And that was, that was one thing I had, uh, well... <laughs> I had a hard time early in my career. Mm-hmm. I was told that you could never hug a client. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, and and you and I have I had these conversations the about time. boundaries yes. and about professional and but to me that's being human. Yes. And we need we need contact. We need touch. We, we need, need a hug. Right. A day, we need a hug. And I think it's okay one. to ask somebody, is it okay if I give you a hug? Um but um Agreed. Yeah, I think we do. We all need that kind of hug contact. Therapy for everybody. Could we offer that here? Yes, let's do it. For free? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> free hugs. Free hugs. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. So tell me what is like your favorite style or favorite therapy or, mm-hmm. you know, something that you use a lot maybe in your work with clients. Mm-hmm. I have I have a few thoughts, but one of the, I think it's more of a philosophy of therapy as opposed to like a technique. So solution-focused would be one, and then collaborative language approach is something that I value. Um, and let me just say, yes. it, it sounds like you're a complete nerd when you say that, because <laughs> nobody knows what it means, so please enlighten please me. Please enlighten us. <laughs> Keep enlightening with, me. With the gory details. <laughs> so collaborative language approach really is about a way of being with a client in, in the conversation. So it's not about a technique. But it's about making sure that there is a dialogue in the room instead of a monologue. So let me give you an example. So somebody comes into the office. They want to talk about uh, their level of anxiety. If they come into the room and they share with me things that are going on in their world, uh, the symptoms they're having, that's a conversation, but it's more of a monologue. They're just telling me, they're reporting to me what they're feeling. My job in that process is to be able to have a conversation with them in a way that I'm asking open-ended questions, um, that we create a dialogue where new meaning can come out of their conversation. So I guess a lot of it comes down to questioning and asking certain questions so that when they're telling their story, they're able to kind of look at their story in real time, maybe in a different way, or maybe ask a question or think about something in a way that they haven't thought about it before. So as opposed to some types of therapies where I I would think are a bit more problem-focused, so um, I'm going to use CBT as as an example. And I I, I enjoy CBT. I like that. But that's very much problem-focused. Here's 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 the problem. Here's what we do about it. That's you can have a that's a, that's a monologic way to have a conversation. Here are the skill sets you need to learn. Here's here's how we do this thought worksheet. That's that's more of a monologue. What I'm after is we could impart some of those skills, but how do we do that in a way where there's a dialogue happening, where we're both listening in a way that we both come away from the conversation thinking about the information in a new way. 
almost, I want to say like a Socrates method where you're yes. kind of yes. walking along with your student and yes. you're helping them ask questions and look at something in a different way. Yes. And, and kind of like the conversation we had a few days ago about reframing, mm -hmm. right? It's it's almost that. It's, it's, it's having the conversation in a way that it is fluid, that it's evolving and that new meaning grows out of that as opposed to being a reporting of this is my symptom and then me saying, oh, this is what you might do about that. Mm -hmm. It's That's a very different way of having a conversation. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's more useful for a lot of people mm -hmm. because we are so lectured at, all of us, mm -hmm. by different folks, whether that's mm -hmm. school, parents, spouses, friends. <laughs> everybody yes. wants to tell you what to do, right? Yes. Because everybody has a way yes. of somehow knowing what you should do about something. But yes. I like that you're kind of working alongside together and you're not throwing your meaning at whatever someone is telling Correct. you. Correct. You're helping them develop their own meaning. Correct. And, and, and for a long time, I think collaborative language approach was thought of as the not, it was talked about as the not knowing way. So, so my job is to really not know. And, and, and not that that doesn't mean that we don't know what we're doing, mm -hmm. but it means that it's a wondering, that I'm not making an assumption. There's no presupposition about your experience when you come in the door. So when you say I have depression, I don't know what that means for you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, it's perfect. So, so it's opening up the dialogue in a way that I don't have an embedded assumption of what that looks like for you. I'm just going to whisper th yes. this, but <laughs> I knew I loved you, but now I love you more. <laughs> I call this Columbo approach. That's what I do. Yes. I'm just kind of like yes. wondering, like asking yes. questions. Like you're not dumb when you do that. You're no. not you're not no. you're not not knowing. You're just not knowing what it means for that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sometimes just by having to describe so if I'm if I'm in the other side of the therapy chair, if I'm on the couch and I'm not in the in the chair and I'm and I'm the person that's describing something in the way that you might ask a question to me, I might hear myself say something that then gives it new meaning. And that's that Columbo approach. That's mm -hmm. what you're talking about, that, that not knowing approach. So Right. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that with, with a solution-focused way of working because I think that's very affirming. I think it, it validates people's experiences, and I think it's very positive. And, and we don't need to always talk about problems in that way. We can talk about what you would like the outcome to be instead and how we get there. That's mm -hmm. just perfect. <laughs> I have no uh, more yeah. questions. I'm I'm kind of like <laughs> she's perfect now. It's okay. But what what would you give? Um, do you have any wisdom tokens that that like wise mm -hmm. thoughts? Because you're so wise mm -hmm. that oh, people could take away and just maybe we're not lecturing. We're just sort of sharing maybe mm -hmm. what we've learned. Mm -hmm. So okay, one takeaway that I have takeaway. Thank you. One takeaway would be confidence. Mm -hmm. That is such a key part of, I think, change and what, what, we're, what we are required mm -hmm. to use to, to have change. And I think so many of us walk through life feeling not confident. We think we can't do something. We feel like we're less than. I think that's a very common, and it's a common theme that I see with people coming into the office um, that meet with me. And I think, I guess I could give you a quick story. Give me a quick story. Give you I a quick stories. story. So in my graduate training, I had the good fortune to work in a facility where they had one of those, what are those two way mirrors or kind of like, so they had the big mirror on the wall and I was working with a family in the therapy room, but they couldn't see my uh, preceptors and my supervisors on the other side of the mirror. And we had this little red phone. So uh, you're doing the therapy in the room 
And I knew on the other side of the mirror, there was, uh, you know, my preceptor, supervisors. And if I got in trouble, I could pick up the phone and say, you know, hold on, everyone. I want to see what so-and-so thinks or vice versa. Or they can call in. No, it's a <laughs> lifeline. Right. It was like a lifeline. And I had, and I'm not kidding you, probably the worst therapy session that's ever been recorded on video. So I had, I had uh, a whole family in and the, t- the two little children were fighting about five minutes into the session. Mom and dad are in the room and mom gets a phone call and she takes the phone call in the middle of the therapy session. And she's just talking as if like no one else is in the room. And I'm sitting there with all, with my boss and all these people looking on and it's complete chaos. And the one kid's crying. I don't know if anyone was bleeding at this point, but I mean, it was just like complete. And I'm supposed to be doing family therapy, right? And I'm sitting there looking like I have not a clue in the world as to what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, I picked up the phone. And I said, well, um, we need a little, we might need a little help in here. <laughs> you know, I went out into the hallway and talked with, with my then uh, mentor. And, and I said, I just don't know what to do. I said, there's this chaos. The mom's on the phone talking. The dad's not paying attention. The kids are hitting each other. And I said, this is like a disaster. And he said, he said, you, you know, the perfect thing to say when you go back into that room, I know you do. And I was like stunned because I thought, I don't, I don't know what the hell to say. You know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. But he said, you know the perfect thing to say. He said, I know you do. Go do it. So I walked back into the room and I sat down. And all I could think of, I was looking at all this chaos. All I could think of to say was, you know what? You guys are doing a really great job. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And they stopped. The kids stopped hitting each other and said, what do you, and the mom said, what do you mean we're doing a great job? And I said, what I'm seeing in here, I said, I'm imagining if this is happening in here, this is what's happening in your house. So I can understand why you're all struggling, why you guys are here. I said, this was so great for you to come in and show me what's been going on. I I had the raw data right there. Well, I I didn't know, but that was a real turning point for that family because they weren't being told that they were horrible, that the kids weren't behaving, that the mom couldn't, had the attention span of a gnat. But they were being told that what looked like dysfunction was actually like helpful. So after the session, and I, and it was complete BS on my part, quite frankly, I was just trying to get well, through the they session, were doing good. but they were, they were good at creating they, chaos, right? which they also which created we, at we home, brought so. into the room. So I walked out in the hallway afterward and I said to my supervisor, how did you know that that was the, that I was going to say the right thing? And he said, I didn't, he said, but he said, but I gave you confidence. And so that was kind of my, my aha moment of, oh, I walked back into that room and I didn't know what I was going to say. But the first thing that came out of my mouth was helpful for that family. And that family, actually, they came back to the center for about six months and they did fabulous family work. But it was that, that reframe for them of, oh, this is actually good. I'm, this, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of you guys. And that was all it took. And so, but I didn't have the confidence to, to say that before because I was so busy trying to fix what was in the room. So I think confidence for any of us is a huge thing. And I'll never forget him, that supervisor, giving me that piece of confidence. And I, I think maybe even trust and belief. So yes. the supervisor was yes. trusting and believing yes. that you knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And then you believed even in yourself. Be- even before I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and how many times can we all think of a, an instance where we didn't have the the courage or the confidence to do something, but in our we knew somewhere that we could do it, but it took someone else to say, I believe in you. You've got this. And I think in, I, I think in our work, I think part of what therapy is, is we are hope dealers. We are oh, confidence yes. builders. I agree. Right? I absolutely 100% Right? Agree. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. And, and I think we, we overlook how important that is. You know, I, I don't ever see a client that comes, I've never had a client mm-hmm. that, that has come into my office ever where I've thought, 
this person is hopeless. This situation can never be better because I know it can. And I, I have to have that unfake, like un, un, what it, what Burdened, un, un, unshakable, un, un, whatever, mm-hmm. um, staunch faith. Unconditional. That, uncon- right. I absolutely regard. know that they have the ability to do it within them. I may not see it when I work with them. Maybe that shows up 10 years later, but I know they have it within them. And it's my job to, to help them notice it. To believe yes. in them so that yes. they can believe in themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, and the world is set up right now. Other people, I think, are set up sometimes to take etch away at our confidence. Yes. You know, we look at, we compare ourselves to other people. We compare what I should be. What I, and, and I think it's so nice to, and refreshing to have somebody that helps boost your confidence. Well, yeah. and I think like we talked before about trauma, you know, everybody has some type of trauma. And I think trauma shakes that confidence in yourself because mm-hmm. if other people can hurt you, then that means you're not important. That means you're not lovable or Correct. worthy. Or Right. You don't have the ability to protect yourself. No. You don't have, right, mm-hmm. right. No, trauma, and boy, that's that's such a touchstone right mm-hmm. now. Everybody has gone through a lot of trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> with the pandemic and people individually. So, mm-hmm. But having the confidence, I think, to to know and how to build confidence, isn't that's a whole other thing, you know having the confidence to know that you can overcome whatever anyone that's sitting in my office is sitting in my office because they've overcome situations. They've, they're, they're well enough to drive to the office or be at the office. So that to me tells me that person is a survivor already. And yeah. I 100% believe that in-person mm-hmm. visits are still more effective than the oh, tele. I love 100%. Tele, I, mm, it's convenient. I'm, I'm, I'm lukewarm on the tele. <laughs> oh, because I think there's something to the energy. You know, when mm-hmm. someone is around you and they can mm-hmm. pick up that positive energy that's and that hope that you're instilling in them and get that hug at the end of the session. I think yes. that, that has a lot to do with Yes, I agree with success. you 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Tell me anything else inspirational that 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 you might you might have in there cuz we know you do. You have more that you want to share. <laughs> how much time do we have? <laughs> no. No. Um inspirational. Mm. Hope you already said hope, confidence. Confidence. I think that's the thing that I I hope for all of my people that I work with and people, you know, I How do that, you how do you feel about faith? And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, mm-hmm. and people getting better. Do you think that has a huge impact on whether people get better or not when they believe in God, or mm-hmm. or do you think, nah, it doesn't really matter? I think I think it depends on the person, mm-hmm. but I do think that believing in something outside yourself. It's I don't think it's always healthy for us to be so inwardly focused that we are the be all and the end all, and we need mm-hmm. other people. We need relationships. Mm-hmm. So whether that relationship is a connected other that is a God or something in the universe or a spiritual thing, or it's other people. I do think we need that connection to something outside ourselves. I think that's very powerful. So yes, if that answers your question. Yes. I'm trying to do that in a politically correct way. Wasn't that savvy? (laughs) I was trying not to say anything about religion or, but I do think like our relationship with something other than ourself is hugely important. What uh, type of trauma therapies do you like to use? And okay. can you expand on some details yes, of that? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So probably the gold standard in trauma therapy currently is EMDR. And EMDR is, is a processing technique by which you help somebody take some memories and things that cause trauma responses, and you take them from the part of the brain that is more of our kind of um, emotional brain, if you will, and, and move them up to the prefrontal cortex where you can process and logically think through the memory so that 
when you are triggered. So when someone encounters something that brings up a trauma response, it, it tends to reduce its intensity. Um, it's done in office. It's a lot of question and answer. So a lot of EMDR, people think of it as, oh my goodness, it's bringing up these trauma memories to talk about them and won't that be re-traumatizing? And to some extent, maybe, <laughs> that's the answer, maybe. But EMDR, the, the first part of EMDR is about um, helping a client access resources. And so you're, you're identifying resources, you're identifying ways that somebody can calm and self-soothe. So you're stabilizing and you're working on building security in that person before you talk about these traumatic memories. Um, EMDR also can be done without the person talking about a memory, but it's with the help of the clinician who sits in the office and kind of walks along, sits alongside and helps, helps the person regulate as they're thinking about something traumatic. So I think people have a fear that I don't want to do EMDR because I'm going to have to talk about all these traumatic things that have happened to me, whereas, you know, the reality in the office, it doesn't have to be spoken about. It can be something that the clinician helps the person work through without the person having to detail or talk in depth about the trauma. So that's one one form of trauma therapy. Somatic therapies, another way to deal with trauma, kind of getting trauma out of the body. I know you and I have spoken about, yes, biofeedback. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk did a lot of work on, he wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score. So, we talked about it. Yes, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, memories stored in the body, having some way of accessing that through movement, even yoga, um, meditation, but with movement, you know, those types of things can be helpful. And I find solution-focused work to be very effective in trauma because, because that approach doesn't necessitate that we dig into someone's past. We're looking at how do we move forward from that in a way that the person feels good about um, without having to dig up, you know, things that are that are old wounds and you mentioned before trauma that can happen in the womb yes and can you can Mm -hmm. you tell me a little more about that because i Mm -hmm. think that's an extremely interesting research Mm -hmm. so if you think about can i clap in here in front of the microphone so if you think about like this kind of sound Mm -hmm. if someone is regulated your heart rate is a regular beat. Mm-hmm. If you have a spike or an anxiety spike or something happens, or let's say uh, you hear a gunshot, your heart might <gasps> do this. Yes. You might you breathe differently. So in the womb, a baby is hearing and attending to rhythm all the time. So they're hearing mom's heartbeat. They're hearing mom breathing. When, when the baby is in the womb and developing all of their little neurons and those types of things, it's rhythmic. When that's dysregulated, it has a tendency sometimes to change the way that the brain is being developed and the way the brain responds to sound and noise and trauma. So if if mom is dysregulated during the pregnancy, there's a potential that baby will also be growing in an environment and developing in a way that there's dysregulation. So like not a rhythmic sound, and that actually can impact um, brain development in a way that makes that child maybe a little bit more likely to be trauma triggered with or dysregulated um Mm -hmm. so there is there is some neuroscience behind that wow that's very interesting research mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so dr newman we know you have a client in a few minutes so we probably Mm -hmm. can't keep you here forever although we want to i would love it yeah (laughs) we will we'll probably invite you again if you're willing to come back back. i would love to come back i need to have a list of topics maybe maybe we could do some kind of a um i don't know um 
what would you what would you think about like a five minute something every once in a while, like a tip for the day or a yeah, or something something inspirational or something. You can yes. absolutely do that. You have mm-hmm. so many book ideas, so you already have the book corner. <laughs> we so. all know I have a book problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did the same thing last few days, just been buying books. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm getting into the uh, society and the crisis of morals right now. So it's oh it's light been reading, light <laughs> reading. I'm sitting there like oh, you know. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a minute. Hi, everyone. It's Sophie just coming to you from behind my computer, uh, editing the podcast. And so part of the interview got cut off. Um, Not sure what happened. Been trying to fix it for the past few days. That's why the podcast is a few days late. But um, unfortunately, it just doesn't seem there's a way to fix the file. So from here on, I'm going to just allow the conversation to play because I think they had a great um, discussion. So from here on, they're basically discussing the expectation of perfection from therapists. So that should make the rest of the interview make sense. And no worries because we're going to have Dr. Newman on again and hopefully again and again. So there will be lots more of Dr. Newman to listen to. And we're so sorry about this uh, mishap. It's almost like my soul cries because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's no longer allowed to be a human being with our clients. Mm -hmm. It's no longer, I'm supposed to be a robot that just recites whatever the perfect thing is today. Yes. And yes. then what's for, expected, right. you know, what you're allowed to say and do. And it's very difficult to be human and present with someone in a way when you're trying to guard yourself like mm-hmm. that. It's That's hard. And, I, you know, and it used to be that witches were, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not treated fairly, killed, mm-hmm. vilified. Vilified. Yes. <laughs> and now I, I honestly, now it's sometimes I feel like <laughs> therapists, counselors, nurse mm-hmm. practitioners, we're mm-hmm. sometimes treated like we're not. We're not perfect, whatever that means today. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, really rings true with me when you say, you know, you, you try to find out what's wrong with you. It's, But it's almost for me, it's like the reverse. It's like I am trying to still find out what's wrong with me as a provider because it feels like all these different authorities have this message for us that, oh, you're not doing this right. And now this regulation changed and you're supposed to do something else now. And, ooh, jump now because you're supposed to put in your note telemedicine with (laughs) what type of a video conferencing portal or if not, you know. You and I appreciate our patients because they, that's what keeps me in it every day. The patients. Yes. It's the joy of like connecting with people in Mm -hmm. a real way and, and being a part of something. Mm -hmm. I I think so. Thank you for that opportunity. I appreciate it. I thank you for, for you every day. Thank you, God, oh. for Dr. Newman. <laughs> well, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. It's, never, it's never long enough. It's never long enough. No. We always no. have these chit-chats around the cooler. I know. It's never long enough. <laughs> no, it's not. Dr. Newman, what's your naked truth today? Well, what are my options? I know. I asked the same question last time. I was like, well, what? How, can somebody how, how help me? How far can I go? How far? <laughs> That's what I said. How naked does it have to be? Right. Does it have... What, um, um, can you give me an example of like what a good naked truth, like it one in the past? So I could, I'm, so I'm trying I'm the to same think ballpark. myself. I think what it means is just mm-hmm. what is your kind of thought or something that maybe you're not mm-hmm. sharing with others because you're trying to keep your image or, you know, but something that maybe happened today or yesterday mm-hmm. or last few days that you've been, it's been on your mind. I can't say what I was going to say. <laughs> no. um, we might have to edit this part out. Um, a naked truth. You are more than you think you are. 
That's perfect. And that, that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. You are much more than you think. I love this naked truth. Yeah. It's so naked I can't <laughs> undress it anymore. <laughs> I thought about undressing, but I thought that would be inappropriate. <laughs> hey, Could we just, you know, I'd be more comfortable I wasn't wearing an underwire. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. My naked truth for today. So I, yes. I really loved yours. It's very mm-hmm. inspirational. My naked truth of today is I think that I am due for a self-check-in. I think that I am going and going and going and sometimes I expect myself to do too much and there's too many things going on and I get overwhelmed and I think I sometimes get a little down and I think mm-hmm. this is what's, what's been going on with me. My energy's sort of down mm-hmm. and I need to do a self-check-in and I think that's just could be true for everybody too. Just mm-hmm. instead of just going with the speed of the world because the world is speeding up right. all the time. Slow, slow down. down. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. check in with yourself. How are you doing today, really? Because mm-hmm. you are more than what you think you are, like you said. Mm-hmm. That's that's my naked truth. I love it. Yay. Yay. Okay. It was like nipple naked, but <laughs> not too naked. Mine was underwire naked. <laughs> I was like, this underwire is really bothering me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.